You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. I know I said good morning earlier, and I meant it, but it is also beyond good. It is a great morning because today we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And I want to start off this morning with a passage from Isaiah 46, uh, verses 8 through 10. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to tell it to you. It says this in Isaiah 46, 8 through 10. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my, count, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all of my purpose. So what we celebrate and remember today on Resurrection Sunday was this act that was at the very center of God's purpose and plan. And it's Jesus' death on the cross that brings us victory over sin that was defeated for all time. And this is great news if you're here this morning and you're a Christ follower. The Bible tells us, In Romans, it says those who are saved are more than conquerors in Christ. Jesus says in John 10, he says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. Do you get that? Jesus, God the Son, just said that if you're one of his sheep, that no one will ever, ever take you out of his hand for the rest of eternity. Paul knows this to be true. He says in Romans uh, 8, 38 through 39, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to recognize the power in that statement. There is great power in that statement. The old gospel song was right. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. And that's what I want us to look at today. That's what I want us to see today, that Jesus is this final Lamb slain. We just celebrated uh, Passover this past Saturday, and we had an opportunity uh, to get to see that through this feast that was set up over uh, 3,333 years ago, that God is pointing to a sacrifice of his son to take away the sins of the world. And it's so very important that you see that God always has been in control, always will be in control. And that though we offer him nothing of value out of his great love for us, he provided hope for us to be reconciled to him, even though it meant the death of his son. You can't know these things and be indifferent to God. And if you read the word, you know that he's not indifferent to you. You can't be indifferent to God. You're either a yes or a no. There are no maybes. If you walked in here this morning, maybe you walked in a no. But right now where you sit, you can become a yes. Listen real quick to 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he... Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you pray right now and talk to Jesus and tell him that you are a sinner in need of him as your Savior, his word says he is faithful to forgive you and cleanse you of all your brokenness, 
all your sin. Your chance is now, and I hope you take it. You could walk out of here with life anew, with eternal life, with a relationship with the Heavenly Father who loves you more than you can ever understand. Here in just a little bit, here in a few moments, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And if you make that decision right now, before we take the Lord's Supper, I invite you to join us as, as a new brother, as a new sister, in taking part of this amazing um, ritual that God has given us to remember Him. So back, back, back to the sermon. It's important that you hear the gospel. You just heard it. So back to the sermon at hand. Uh, as we were preparing uh, this week, or as I was preparing this week for this message, I kept thinking about <laughs> this lamb that uh, Dell and I chased all over this uh, pasture of somebody who we didn't even know, and that was exciting. And I didn't know how that was going to turn out, but nobody got shot, so that was good. We weren't, you know, we were trespassing, but nobody got upset, and you know. So he was this cute. He's a cute little fella, and uh, to be honest. Uh, if Dale had asked me to help him do the deed and, and help prepare this lamb for Passover meal, it would have been real tough on me. Um, don't get me wrong, I would have done it, but it would have been tough. And, and don't, I, I want you to know, I grew up hunting, fishing. I have no problem with blood or guts or cleaning animals. In fact, uh, my wife, who has, love her heart, gone through four C-sections, uh, would get a little bit perturbed because I spent more time looking at what the doctor was doing than seeing to her needs uh, right there on the on the operating table. You know, I'm I'm real interested in what was going on. Like, hey, doc, does that look right to you? Uh, oh, wait, I'm upside down. Never mind. That's okay. You just keep doing what you're doing, doc. So stuff like that doesn't bother me. But this was different, and and you can giggle or laugh if you want. But when I looked at this little this little sheep, this little lamb, I saw innocence. And I guess it made me think that <clears throat> while Jesus was on trial, while he was being mocked and scoffed and beaten, while he hung there on that cross, people had to see it, right? People had to see it. People had to see his innocence. I believe that Pilate saw it to a degree. That's why he was reluctant. I know that one of the thieves saw it because he accepted Christ as his Savior. He, he recognized his innocence. Even at his passing, even at Jesus' uh, death, one of the Roman guards realized that he said, truly, this was the Son of God. And this morning, it's important that you see it. That on that day, on that cross, Jesus created the opportunity for all people everywhere. That the, by the shedding of his blood, he would exchange his perfect innocence for our full guilt. He even did it for that thief dying beside him there on the cross. What a powerful Savior we have. So let's look some more at Jesus as the Lamb. If we can look at the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelations, if we can fast forward in time a little ways and see Jesus in heaven, uh, we're going to look at Revelation 5, if you want to turn there. Revelation 5, and it's what we just sang about. John writes about this vision that he sees. Revelation 5, the last book of the Bible. Chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written 
uh, within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the throne or before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song singing, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood. You ransom God's people, be the people of God, for, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard, the throne, heard from around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels number, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Don't you think it's amazing that part of what God has revealed to us is how this story ends. We're not left biting our nails, waiting to see what happens. We're not giving half of a story. We're giving the whole thing. God tells us the whole thing. That we, that we see that those that are ransomed by the blood of the Lamb are brought into the presence of God for all eternity, while those who are not are cast into the outer darkness. And here we see this Lamb is unique because He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. And I like this word worthy. I like the weight it carries. And I think that most everybody in here would agree that there's been some time in your life that you wanted to be considered worthy of something, right? Maybe it's a, a position or a raise or being worthy to, to make the, the all-star team. Maybe it's something even deeper. Maybe it's feeling worthy of love, or worthy of respect. You know what the truth is? The truth is that you can search your whole life for worth in this earth and end up disappointed. Until you let go of your earthly pursuit of worth and cling to the only worthy one, you will always be chasing the sun. John 3.30 is one of my favorite verses. It says this, He must increase but I must decrease. To follow Christ is to die to yourself, to die to your flesh. It's a tough thing. We all struggle with it. But we have to cling to the worthy one. 
So let's continue to remember, to remember. Um, looking back at, at this week of Jesus' death, uh, as we're studying uh, his, his resurrection, we see that it was Passover week. And on this Thursday of this week, Jesus met with his disciples and they had a Passover meal together. And this meal is known as the Last Supper. And it's where Jesus commands his followers to have this meal known as communion as a regular practice until he returns. And so we're going to do that this morning. This is known as the Last Supper because it's the last time that Jesus eats before he heads to the cross, before he's taken into custody. During the eating of this meal, Judas is identified as the traitor that is going to go and tell the authorities when and where and how to arrest Jesus. So within a few hours, Jesus is taken into custody and tried and hung on that cross to die on Friday. So this Last Supper, which we call communion, is part of this Passover meal that the Jews had been observing for over a thousand years at this point, at that point. So I want to read to you in Luke, Luke 22. This is the account of the Passover. Luke 22, 7 through 23, it says this, They came, then came the day of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of that house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Verse 14 continues. And then the hour came, he reclined, speaking of Jesus, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which I have given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man uh, by whom he is betrayed. And they begin to question one another, which of them could be, uh, could be who was going to do this. So let me set the scene for you. Here is Jesus. He's, he's arrived in Jerusalem four days prior, four days earlier. And he's fully aware when he arrives what this week's fixing to entail. He's fully aware that by the end of the week, he is going to experience this gruesome death on the cross, the separation from God the Father, which he has never experienced. And it's been an interesting several days so far. On Sunday, he arrives in town riding a donkey with people praising his arrival and waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace is in heaven and glory in the highest. Off to a really good start. And then 
the following day on Monday, we see Jesus goes into the temple and he cleans house. People are there misusing the temple. They're using it as a marketing a marketplace. And Jesus puts a stop to it. He said, this is, this is meant to be a house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of thieves. But the following day on Tuesday, Jesus returns to the temple to teach. In his teaching, he predicts the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. Some pretty hard teaching. On this day, on Tuesday, we see that the chief priest had had enough because it says they begin to look for a way to put him to death. Wednesday, we find Jesus at Simon the leper's house, which is in a town just right outside of Jerusalem. Here he's anointed with oil, and he tells everybody very clearly, this is in preparation for my burial that is soon to follow. On this day, we also see Judas go to meet with the chief priest to discuss the rest of Jesus. That brings us to this Thursday in this Passover meal that is to be the Last Supper. What's important to note, what I want you to see, is that these disciples are faithful Jews and had grown up celebrating the Passover. But this Passover meal was going to be like one that they never had experienced before or celebrated before. Why? Because Jesus was about to show them that this long-standing tradition pointed to him as the Messiah and Savior. It's important that you see that. I, I know there's experiences in life where we, until we understand better, we're just lost. I, I mean, I think here lately, Aubrey and Titus have been doing some uh, of the STEM robotics stuff, and they've been going to these competitions, and they, they travel, and Pete's been taking them, and they, they show it on YouTube so you can watch it live, and I don't know what's going on. That first one, I was clueless. I mean, it was great to see Titus and, and Aubrey and, and the other kids from the school but I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know who was keeping score, how it worked. But as time has gone on, as I've, as I've talked to Aubrey, as she's explained it to me and, and got it through my little thick skull as much as I could, I'm understanding what they're doing. And now that I've watched these several matches, I can understand it better. See, these, these disciples had a full grasp and understanding of the Passover that we typically don't have today as modern Gentiles. And so that's why we celebrate Passover here at Plant Grow Harvest is because we think it's extremely important that we understand the feast. And so if you didn't get to come this year, we hope you come next year. Um, so let's look back at the, at the first Passover. And this happens all the way back in Exodus. So we're going from Revelation, the last book of the Bible, all the way to the second book of the Bible in Exodus. And so Exodus chapter 12, that's where we're going to end up today. So let's, we're going to look back at Exodus chapter 12. And before I read, uh, we're going to start in verse 21 too. Exodus 12, verse 21. So let me get you up to speed here. There's been these plagues, right? And Passover is going to be the 10th plague. So there's been nine plagues. And Dale's talked about this, and I just want to, I just want to touch on it briefly. There are basically three sets of three plagues. And, and each of these plagues uh, attacked a different area of the Egyptian worldview. And, and 
each time, each time they, they did these three sets of three, the first time they would come to Pharaoh at the water, the second time they would come to him wherever his official capacity was, and then the third time it would be unannounced. And this happened in plagues 1, 2, and 3, then again in 4, 5, and 6, and then again in 7, 8, and 9. And, and so in these three sets of three uh, plagues, God is showing his people he is trying to break them of this worldview, this Egyptian worldview. All these plagues were designed to attack the, theo- the th- theology and worldview of Egypt. And the question is why? And the answer is because God wasn't just trying to get Israel out of Egypt. He was trying to get Egypt out of his Israelites. In other words, they had been there so long that their worldview had been corrupted and they were believing in these gods of the Egyptians. Uh, They were believing that they were superior to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they saw that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had long forsaken them and wasn't able to deliver them. And God used these plagues to show them that was not true. You see, God... He didn't have to give them the ten plagues. They could have just woke up one morning and every Egyptian could have been dead and they could have walked out. But God didn't do that. He was very specific and methodical in the way he delivered his people so that they weren't just physically delivered, but they were also theologically delivered. They were delivered from the oppression of the Egyptians' theological system and they were delivered both also physically. It was important that they see that the idols of the Egyptians were destroyed. And they were, that's all they were, were idols, empty idols. But they still even had trouble with idols in the future, if you remember the golden calf. But this, this last plague, that's what we're talking about, about Passover. It's not part of this pattern. This last plague is the plague of all plagues. And this is the one where God says, get ready because you're leaving tonight. So Exodus 12, 21 through 23 says this. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the, uh, to the two, and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. So here we see this first detailed instruction on this night of redemption. This night that is to be marked by some detailed instructions. So God's people know exactly what to do you see he leaves nothing to chance uh he he tells them specifically what they are to do and we we look at what israel was to do and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to connect uh this message to the gospel of redemption of christ because ultimately the passover is foreshadowing what christ is going to do so Three very specific instructions that we need to remember today as we take the Lord's Supper. Three very specific instructions we want to remember today. And, and they are this. Number one is kill the lamb. Kill the lamb. There is no salvation if we don't kill the lamb. 
He doesn't say, go into your house and pray hard enough. He doesn't say, go into your house and hope that you've done enough good. He says, kill the lamb. There is a substitute that must, must be offered. And that substitute uh, is the lamb. If, there's, if the lamb is not substituted, there will be a death in every household of the firstborn. So we are to kill the lamb because the death of the, without the death of the lamb, there is no deliverance of the people. Listen to 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. It says this, Clear out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really uh, are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Christ is our Passover lamb so that we gather before the Lord's table. As we gather before the Lord's table, we're recognizing the fact that the lamb has been killed as the substitute that we are saved, that we are rescued, we are redeemed, and we are delivered because God killed the lamb. Number two is this. Don't just kill the lamb, but apply the blood. Notice that Moses says, you kill the lamb and you use the hyssop to apply the blood to the doorpost and to the lentils because it is the blood of the lamb that will keep the death angel away. Once again, listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. It says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it was written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as your father, who judges impartially according to each one's deed, con uh, deeds, uh, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed for the uh, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but listen to this, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb without spot or blemish. We have redemption in his blood. We've sang about it this morning. We're going to sing about it some more. Many times we read this in the New Testament. All you have to do is be in the word, read God's word, and you will see how we are ransomed by the blood of Christ. The lamb is sacrificed in his blood that it washes us and it makes us clean over and over. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The blood of Christ, the sacrificial atoning death, the death of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We are to kill the Lamb. We are to apply the blood. But there's a final instruction. Moses says, stay inside. Stay inside. Kill the lamb, apply the blood to the doors, and stay inside. Don't go out. Listen to what this commentary says about this passage. It says, The reason for the command not to go out of the door of the house was that in this night of judgment, there would be no safety anywhere except behind the bloodstained door. You see, to leave your house on this night would be to say, to the death angel, uh, I, I'm afraid and I believe I can find some, some salvation somewhere else. That's the only reason you'd leave the door. 
I'm afraid right now because I'm afraid I want to be in the place that brings me security. But the moment you open the door and leave the house, you acknowledge the fact that you are not trusting by faith and you leave and you die. So we're to kill the lamb, we're to apply the blood and stay inside because the blood of the lamb is your only hope. Dell drew all this last week. The blood of the lamb is your only hope. If you, if you come out of the door, it's not going to go well. There is salvation in no other. It is Christ and Christ alone where we find our hope. Where are you going to go? If you leave the bloodstained door, where will you run? Where will you hide? Where will you find safety and security? Oh, Christian, stay inside. We're often tempted to look elsewhere. As soon as things get difficult, as soon as we get scared, all of a sudden we want to run back to what's familiar And that means not trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, we're not, if things aren't going according to plan, we just want to add something to our belief in Jesus. And that means we're not trusting him fully. And a response like this shows that we never believed that Christ was enough to begin with. The lamb has been slain, his blood has been applied, and all those who trust him should stay inside. You see, the Moses, Moses and the Israelites, they had no idea of what they were doing or, or the for, for, uh, foreshadowing of what was going on here. They all thought that they were just uh, experiencing temporary salvation from Egypt. What they would have given to have what you and I have this morning. You know what we have? We have the ability to see that Christ is the Lamb of God and that this was all a picture of how he saves everyone. From their sin. So, in addition to these detailed instructions, uh, so that we knew what to do, so that they knew what to do, there's also this uh, perpetual reminder so we never forget. Looking at verse 24, it says this You shall observe the right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you, uh, you shall keep this service. And when the child, uh, children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the house of the people of uh, Israel to, in Egypt. When he struck the Egyptians that spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. So it's to be a perpetual reminder. God tells them to make plans and preparations for a life out of Egypt. You're not going to be here forever. You're going to be delivered. In this ritual... It's to be performed over and over and over again. Why? It's because in every culture, we see these rituals. And the fact is that rituals are one of the things that distinguish various cultures from others. And these rituals usually mark things that this culture cannot afford to forget. For Israel, this was that ritual. This was to be the reminder of reminders. So why is it significant? Well, imagine this with me. Imagine this scenario with me. Imagine that Israel comes out of Egypt and there is no Passover and there is no ritual and there is no sacrificial system and suddenly way off in the future there's this God-man Jesus who comes and he is crucified by the Romans. What does that mean? How is it significant? Why is it to stick in the forefront of our minds? I mean... 
The Romans were known for crucifixion. They crucified thousands. Even on this day where they crucified Jesus, they crucified two more people along beside him. So why is this to be significant? The reason it's significant is because year after year they celebrated this Passover. And year after year there was this lamb who was slain. And year after year blood was applied to the doorpost and people were delivered. And on top of this there was this sacrificial system. And year after year there was these high holy days. And there was this scapegoat that you placed your hands on. And they they put all the sins of the people on the scapegoat. And he was sent into the outer darkness. And and he took the sins of the people away and another goat was slain who died for the sins of the people and year after year after year after year they were reminded of this one thing and God is going to deal with your sin through the death of the lamb and all of a sudden Jesus Jesus shows up and John says behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and during this very same celebration where they're killing these lambs to remind themselves of a need for a Savior, Christ dies once and for all, for all sin. This is the just for the unjust, in order that He might bring us back to God. That in our consciousness, that everyone that has been experienced this Passover, they know, they know what this means. This is what God has been saying for year after year and day after day. They know what this means. This means that there's nothing left to interpret. We are not left to wonder. We know what the death of Christ means. So right after this, we see there is a solemn obedience uh, that suits this occasion. Verses 27-28, And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. So this morning, we want to do as the Lord Jesus commanded and take this communion in remembrance of him. So if you're here this morning and you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that came to this earth and shed his blood on that cross to forgive you of your sins, then we invite you to eat this bread and drink this cup with us in celebration.